So even like this year, where money has not been the best or like the most consistent, still things have come through. You know, opportunities have found me, or I have found them, and I've just gone for it with many different things. I have just you know shot my shots and made a lot of the shots, and so you know things like kind of just fall into place as I need them, as and when I need them. As soon as I stop worrying about it, something somewhere is in the works. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Absolutely. Hi, I'm Julie. Um, born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, um, but currently I'm sort of semi-stranded in Jinja, Uganda. <laughs> The borders are still closed right now, and my business is Frame Ambition. So tell us, what does Frame Ambition mean? I know the name is like kind of confusing for some people. <laughs> so it's the name of my blog and YouTube channel, website, everything. Um, it's a blog I started quite a few years ago now, actually, nearing, nearing a decade, right after I left high school. And I was documenting, um, actually nothing to do with travel, really. I was documenting my kind of like taking, taking a sort of modeling career seriously. So I was going to a lot of castings and things like that. So I would write about a lot of like behind the scenes type stories on shoots and everything like that. And so it was frame ambition as in my ambition to, you know, become like a legit model. And then somewhere along the line, it switched or it morphed kind of naturally into a travel platform. But I kept the name because I like how it sounds really. And at that point, like, I'd had the name for ages. I didn't want to do like a whole rebranding. So that's where it came from. So it seems like your journey has been very fluid. And there are some things you talk about in depth, but there are many things you don't. But like you kind of hint at them, right? So... Mm -hmm. looking at your content so you like you said you've had this blog for forever um your first post on instagram was december 24th of 2012 oh wow (laughs) do you remember what it was i actually i think so i think it was what were we doing was it a book yes oh okay i think it was probably like it was christmas time so it would have been like probably a flat lay of like a book and or my nails were in it was there a manicure in it (laughs) no I did see quite a few of those though you're you're very nail polished girl (laughs) uh, yeah I actually this entire year I haven't really been doing my nails I was thinking about the the other day anyway um Mm -hmm. I don't know what was was it wait 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 what was the memoirs of a geisha was it no um (laughs) and the, the Mammoth Book of Native Americans, I think. Yep. Ha! Third <laughs> guess. Good job. That's it. That's exactly what it was. Native Americans. You know, just some light reading before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great book. It just seemed like from 2012 all the way up until maybe like 20, 
17, I think, 2016. You know, you're just trying to graduate, essentially, is what it looks like. And you're taking some trips here and there. There's photos with lots of white people. You went to school in South Africa, correct? Yeah. Uh, for architecture. I did, yeah. A city called Port Elizabeth, which is probably, I think it's the fourth largest city in the country. But it's quite a small town vibe. And especially our university, like the specific area, was even more of a small town within the small town vibe. Um, and yeah, I did. I studied architecture and it was a lot of white kids, a lot of white teachers, just a lot of whiteness. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it from your photos. Um, <laughs> it looks like it. Super white. <laughs> and then like, it seems like this change happened in 2016. It just looks like, it looks like you just got more comfortable with yourself. So you had been doing the modeling, you had been doing the traveling, you'd been doing the writing, you'd been doing, you know, your photography and you have your YouTube channel and your newsletter that you've been nurturing for all these years. And then like 2016, 2017 hit and Julie's in her angles. <laughs> you were finding your angles. You're doing really fun stuff with your hair. You know, you had your septum piercing and your your style of clothes kind of changed a bit. Um, and then from there, we just see you blossom and blossom and blossom. You start talking about the digital nomad life more and more. You start trying to help other people figure out, you know, how to travel on what they call like a lightweight passport, I guess you could say, uh, your Kenyan passport and being able to get into different countries and like talk about your journey. That's really true, actually. It's interesting that you can pick it up from, uh, I'm guessing that's from Instagram, with at least like my style and my piercing and my hair and stuff. Yeah, so 2016 was definitely a huge year. It was my last year studying, but it was, I think the end of 2015 is when I first got an online job. And that was major for me because I had never really worked I mean, I did modeling work, but that was one gig here, one gig there. And so my final year of university, which is 2016, I was just, I was repeating one module. So I had one subject, which was one lecture a week and like a couple of exams um, during the year. So I didn't really have to be on campus very much. So I got to looking for a job, but I was kind of searching online job boards for an in-person job like in Port Elizabeth so I was like okay I think I can be like a like a hostess that sounds like a thing I can do so I was looking for something along those lines and then I found uh, an online job writing for this like German hotel website but they needed writers to be able to do that in English so I applied I did a quick test they were like great you tested very well um, here's your job and so I now had a consistent gig and I was able to make um, uh, sort of like a not exactly a salary because you got kind of got paid by um, how much you were able to write even though there was a target every month but I was now getting regularly paid in euros living in South Africa and when I converted it I was like oh I'm rich okay <laughs> so which I, I really wasn't now I think of it and now after all the writing work I've done it was severely underpaid but as a first gig it was it was great so um after a couple of months realizing, first of all, it seemed like I was getting all this money, but it was just going to nonsense. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me save for a specific goal. 
So basically end of 2015 into the beginning of 2016, I decided I was going to collect all my coin and not touch it or like not touch most of it and plan a trip to go to Afrobank Paris, which would have been July of 2016. In the end, I didn't actually go to Paris at all, but I did take my first Euro trip um, for the month. I think it was mid-June into mid-July. And I went to Italy, France, and Spain all by myself, paid for it myself, planned the whole thing, got the appropriate visas and everything like that. It was one visa. Um, and then, yeah, I was like, this is going to be my life. I had to come back to school in August and finish that last half of the year, last semester. December, I did my final exam. And then I just decided I have another year on my study permit for South Africa, so I can stay. I'm going to head off to Cape Town and I'm going to, this is how I'm going to live. I'm going to do this online work life and I'm going to be flexible and we're just going to work it out. So that, that's that period that things really shifted. But your family had introduced you to travel before that. So like I saw a picture of yourself and your sister. Um, I don't know where it was, but I think it was in the United States somewhere when you were like super young. Yeah, we were really extremely, extremely lucky as kids. Um, my dad worked in travel. He was um, uh, a manager at a travel agency from before I was born. So I grew up going to um, Masai Mara and the safari parks and everything like that. Um, and in Kenya and even next door in Tanzania, I grew up going to the beach on school holidays and everything like that. If it wasn't um, going to the country to see my grandparents, then we were going to safari lodges and things like that and getting kind of, it's, it's really interesting to me to, to hear um, of people's, I guess, mm, kind of like not as good treatment as locals in Kenya, Tanzania, South Africa at these lodges because my dad was like someone they needed to suck up to. So as a child, I wasn't really, that didn't seem like it. It was like, oh, people are pretty cool. Like the safari life is really cool. And then as I got a bit older, my sister and I, like in Kenya, we say KCs or Kenyan cowboys. That's sort of like the nickname that people give to like the kids and grandkids and great grands of like British settlers, basically. So, I mean, they are a few generations in, but they are the kids, you know, the descendants of like British settlers. So we call them Casey's and they're very much like study wildlife management in the UK and then come and like live on a ranch and like <laughs> live in the bush. <laughs> it's, it's very specific, it's very niche. Um, so my sister and I would get called Casey's because we were like spend midterm breaks in Masai Mara and we were like, what is, what is this about? But that was just our life. That was just what we did. That's my dad knows a lot of these parks, like uh, not the Serengeti, but Masai Mara and Samburu. He can drive through them because he just knows them that well because he has to plan people's travel through them and hire drivers and stuff like that. Um, and so that was that was amazing um, to kind of like have that early on in life and not really even think about it, not have to plan it or worry about, you know, um, all the different things that people worry about when they're traveling. That picture from California, I was nine and my sister would have been six. And we have some family who live in the Bay Area and still do. So my mom, my sister and I went over for one month, which was so mad and so much fun. It's really crazy when I think about that too, because um, at the time, well, I think it might be the same now, but we were, I think it's, 
anybody who's under 12, like you're generally fine to just like have your passport and travel with your parent. My mom had to get a visa for the US and she got that, a visitor's visa. And we thought that she was going to go on her own. And then like the day before she was like, okay, pack your bags, girl, just kidding. <laughs> and so we packed and we went with her and she was just like, I don't know when she decided that we were going to, but <laughs> I remember my sister really being annoyed and being like, mom, I can't believe you're just going to the States and like writing her a long shopping list. And then the day before she was like, yep, surprise. <laughs> your sister's like your bestie. Yeah, for sure. That doesn't always happen in families. So that's really cool. Very true. But you talk about your mother quite highly as well. Um, she's also like a food blocker or was, wasn't she? Yeah, she sort of got like an inconsistent food block. She could seriously do so well. Like the magic she makes in the kitchen is crazy. And it's also like, I think people really think I'm into dieting and stuff like that. But it's my mom's influence of actually just eating real food. Like, I don't have to think about it because it's how I grew up. My mom's really out here making bone broth and, like, quinoa and kefir. And, like, this, this is just her life. That's just how she lives. <laughs> it's really cool. And she's, she, she's just, like, very adventurous in the kitchen. And it's, it's so fun, like, to be home with her and, like, try her experiments. And she also went to fashion school. She did, yeah. When I was, I think I was in kindergarten. She was doing, like, night classes at a fashion college. And so she would come home with all these, like, what I thought were really cool sketches. But in the end, she was kind of like, yeah, she was just trying it. And um, she didn't really have the passion necessarily, especially to be sewing at, like, ridiculous hours of the evening. But that was, like, a little stint of something that she tried out when I was quite young, which was pretty cool. I still have those sketches somewhere in the house. Do you think you got some of your unorthodox, <laughs> you know, non-traditional lifestyle ideas from her yeah I think so both my parents actually because they're very much like without saying it without necessarily being like I'm gonna teach you something about life it's just the way that they live has always been like okay fine you can have your job they both have their you know day jobs um but they were never they never really shied away from just trying something else or just adding something else you know like my mom. Uh, always always had like an office type job but like I said that there was a time that she went to fashion classes in the evening there was a time that she um, I remember her telling me like a friend of hers was uh, a, an air an air stewardess and she would go to Pakistan with her and like fly on what's it called um, on those like friends and family tickets I can't remember what it's called but she would go to Pakistan and like buy leather jackets and, and carpets and stuff and sell those when she would come back home to Kenya and like buy like pashmina scarves and stuff in Pakistan and that was her thing that was her like side hustle for a while you know and my dad my dad worked in tourism but he's also got a farm that he would like supply chicken and eggs to different restaurants and he's you know he's really he actually is really not like a city person he's very much like prefers being out in the bush as in in like safari type lodges and stuff and also just like in the countryside with the farm and they were all they were both really just like try whatever you want to try if it works out cool then you know you you know that it works out if not then you tried it and you learned something somewhere and it's like I didn't even really realize that until I got much older and I was like oh they've always just done whatever came to mind like they didn't need to say it they just did it so they were comfortable with 
the choices that you made once you graduated with your architecture degree <laughs> to be a digital nomad and travel writer and model? It still kind of comes up. Sometimes my dad is still like, so you're really, you don't want to draw anymore. I'm like, dad, it's not drawing. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it'll be like, mm, so you don't. But I think for me, again, like with the 2016, like little Euro trip, I think they were like a little bit shook that I actually pulled it off. And that for them was the point where they were like, okay, wow, she's dead serious. She's going to say something and she's going to do it. So the year after that and especially by now, which is a few years later, they're very much just like, this one's going to do what she's going to do. Just <laughs> so they'll be like, all right, let her go. Like, check your appearances <laughs> up to date. Like, yeah. <laughs> so your sister must be very different from you then. She is and she isn't. She's definitely also a free spirit and got like a creative thing to her. She's much more like outgoing and social than I am. I was always someone who kind of like, didn't have a circle of friends like at school but I had like friends in all the different circles if that makes sense and she's very much somebody who has like her core friends who are still her best friends now like 10 years on um yeah but she's she is and she isn't different like in the broader things were very similar in terms of being adventurous and being creative and stuff um but she's a bit more I suppose I would call her extroverted yeah, she's a bit cooler than me. <laughs> so has that affected your sense of belonging? So you said not having like a core group and then also like being called a Casey because you had more access to more places and a different kind of experience growing up than others. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've always kind of like even this trip that I took um, to to Europe in my last year of uni. I just did it alone. And for me, I've always just been, I've been very comfortable, like being kind of a floater in terms of friend groups or, um, yeah. Even within my family, I've always just been very comfortable alone. I don't really think about it. And it's one of those things like, when, if you're like in a group setting and somebody's like, is that girl okay? She's just like hanging out by herself. That's me, but I'm chill. <laughs> And when someone's like, are you okay? I'm like, huh? Yeah, I'm good. What do you mean? <laughs> so, I'm like, I didn't, do I not look, do I look sad? I'm, I'm just, I'm just here. Um, so as far as the sense of belonging, um, sometimes, yeah. I think that sometimes I get that, but it's a bit more like, uh, it's more like something that comes to mind and then I, I snap out of it because I know it's not necessarily um, it's like not that deep or it's not true that I don't belong anywhere because I have my I have my friends that are you know my people it's just that it's not like a gang <laughs> it's not a clique and that's the same with my family and and even other people who grew up like me it's cool like getting older and meeting other people who are like had a bit of an unconventional um, not an unconventional childhood, but like an unconventional type of family setup and set of privileges. That is really interesting. I think it's difficult to not compare your life, your experiences to what you see. And sometimes believing what you see is what's normal. Yeah. So like seeing how some people have their set of friends or how close they are with their family or like whatever it is 
And like you said, it's very much being like, my relationships don't look like that, but like, I have what I need. <laughs> like, I'm fine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That is, that is an interesting dynamic. I think that more people would benefit from understanding that, that whatever it is that they, they really need, they may already have it. It just may not look how they believe everyone else to have it. So true. And also looking from the outside, it's also like you don't know if that person is satisfied or if that's a healthy situation. You really don't know. So you can't just put that on them as being what you want because you actually, there's no way that you can tell that that's a healthy relationship or dynamic, you know, from the outside. Absolutely not. Like, especially with relationship goals, like that's been a really big one lately. (laughs) Since we've been stuck in the house, not minding our business. (laughs) Doing everything Um, but. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you know with all these pandemics, all these pandemics, not just the one. Um, Distraction is, I think, high, a high priority on folks' lists. So finding whatever they could jump off into, whether it's a versus battle or what's going on with Will and Jada, like, or Beyonce coming out with something, you know, they're just gonna, they're gonna do that. Yeah. So, yeah, but I like, I like that you said that, that, is extremely true. You never know if a person is being ate up from the inside or not while in these situations. That's a very good reality check. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of which, like, it seems like you do solo travel quite a bit. Yeah, most of the time, yeah. Most of the time. You do, like, talk here and there, like, about the emotions of it. So maybe like having an interaction with local people and it not being so nice or, you know, just having like a little bit of a cry here and there. Yeah. What, what happens on your trips? What are these, what are the the things that are tugging at your emotions when you're sometimes, you know, on your travels? Oh, lots of things. Um, Some of it will have to do with just like, being a woman in the world type of thing. It doesn't matter where you are. So it's sort of just like, you know, just everyday misogyny, everyday sexism type things. Um, I think the most recent thing that I posted in detail about being upset about an encounter was here in Uganda, like it's probably three or four months ago. Um, and I had gone to sort of um, just kind of a path, which is outside of, a backpackers that I've stayed at before but I wasn't staying at this time and I'm just going out for a walk um to take a few pictures and some guys came to me and they were like oh um you gotta pay entrance this is a park I'm like this is not a park this is a village road relax um and I just ignored them I was like that's a blatant lie and I know it because I've been here before so I just carried on walking and they kept following me and they were like oh no the thing about here as well is Uganda borders Kenya and although Kiswahili is not a language that's widely spoken here we're not far from the border and lots of people understand Swahili because maybe they have one parent who's Kenyan or Tanzanian or they've spent time there or whatever so sometimes when I'm just not in the mood to be treated treated like a tourist I'll speak in Swahili and they'll be like okay she's not foreign like that fine um and so I just started banging off in Kiswahili and they were like oh, this is not Kenya, you know, I don't know who you think you are, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is ridiculous and I'm not doing this. 
And I was completely fine when I was walking away from them. And I ended up just like taking an about turn and going to where I had planned on going to sit and have a drink uh, and watch the sunset. And then I just like found myself tearing up. And it was one of the, I'm, I'm very emotional, even though it doesn't seem like it to some people. Um, Cause I guess it's like, I don't necessarily cry that much, but I'm someone who cries out of frustration when something is like, I'm just really trying to figure something out and it's not doing it or, or when something's made me mad like that. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know why I'm crying, but I am. It was just like a, it was just a frustrated moment of like, this is so whack. I hate scammers. <laughs> I hate being scammed by, by my own people as well. Um, so it was really like, ah, this sucks. But it's also like that, that kind of, um, that sort of occurrence or that sort of um, game or whatever exists for a reason. And people wouldn't do it if they didn't have to. I really believe that. So it's also like, oh, shit, it's also that. <laughs> so it's almost like compassion, but I'm still annoyed. <laughs> it, is, it is interesting, like what you said, because you do come across very like level. Oh, really? <laughs> you know it's like you're not the super goofy chick you're not like the talks a mile a minute and doesn't care if anybody's listening (laughs) chick you know you seem to speak when you have something to say and you say it and that's kind of it like you don't emote necessarily if I can say that (laughs) so I that's that's why those kinds of that's why those kinds of posts caught my eye. Cause I was like, Oh, emotions, what's going on there? <laughs> that's new. So that's why I asked. I do. I wanted to touch back with your parents just briefly. If you would say that there was something that they gave you that gave you permission to be yourself. Um, you kind of talked about it a bit. You were saying that, just simply by living, they showed you that it was okay to try different stuff. Mm-hmm. Was there anything like direct that they told you? You know, sometimes parents have these kids have these conversations with their kids about the world and how to navigate the world. Yeah. Sometimes mothers have them with their daughters or fathers have them with their daughters. Like, is there anything that you recall them saying to you? Um I don't even remember the conversation that I was having with my dad. I think I asked him, oh, I wish I could remember what exactly we were talking about. But I literally just remember, I asked him, like, what would you do if I said that or did that to you guys or what? Or, oh, I can't remember. But it was some story that was maybe on the news or that we had heard about somebody else that we only, like, vaguely knew. And I asked something and my dad was like, no, I trust you. And that for me was like, oh, cool. Because it was like, I always really take it personally when somebody, like, <laughs> they probably are trying to help. But when somebody is sort of like, oh, remember this. So like, have you, I don't know, have you, like I talked about insurance, have you paid your insurance? Or, you know, like something that's sort of like taking care of myself. Like, have you had breakfast? Or have you... Did you remember the reason for this place? I really take it personally because it's like, oh, you think I'm dumb? <laughs> like, you think I can't take care of myself? That's not what they mean. But <laughs> a lot of time I'm like, yeah, like, I'm fully capable of taking care of myself. Thank you. 
but it was cool for my dad to say, I trust you. Cause it was sort of like, he was telling me, he trusts me to make the right decision. And I was probably like 16 or 17. I really cannot remember what we were talking about. I just remember him going, no, I trust you. And I was like, well, he knows I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> I was there, things like that. Really, my parents are really not the people to, they're both very like composed and quiet, you know? So I think they're the way that they affirm me is just by just by being chill and just by when I tell them another crazy plan of mine they're like oh okay cool <laughs> or they're like hey how are you doing send pictures when I'm away that's that's how they like not give me permission quote unquote but yeah that's that's their style of affirming me which is really nice it'd be really funny if like you know they hung up the phone with you or like you left and they closed the door and then they just like fell out on the floor like why what is she doing to- <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the dramatic side of me um which there's only one side so um what do you what do you record in your voice note when i'm sending to people or once for myself <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, there was just something that I've read or heard about you mm-hmm. using your voice notes app. I think it's your app. So like, not like a WhatsApp voice note to someone else. Oh, okay. Um, well, I definitely, when I'm, when I'm doing any like voiceover stuff on videos I use my phone voice app. but now and then I've started to record just like thoughts and everything like that because I I'm very comfortable writing that's something where I suppose it's like a little bit slower than speaking so I have time to kind of like arrange my thoughts but then um, more and more I found it helpful to just like basically to just like brain dump but like verbally say whatever it is I'm feeling or thinking because it's harder to govern I guess and it's also like um it's it feels better to me than just like talking (laughs) to myself out loud and if anybody used to see me it just looks like I'm on the phone so (laughs) but I think that probably probably was that same day that um I had that encounter with the with the fake river guys who were telling me I had to pay entrance to a fake park I sat down and record. I actually that that might have been it. I sat down and just started speaking into my voice notes um, because I have been thinking and thinking and thinking and saying that I'll start a podcast. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be episode one. Still not happened, but <laughs> I basically just like said what I was thinking and feeling without editing my thoughts. And I think it's really cool. Like it's it's a really good tool for me. Voice notes. You are an all-around traveler, I guess. I just am going to make that description up. So you'll do work away, you'll do couch surfing, but then, like, you'll also do luxury. Mm. So what informs how you travel? Is it strictly, like, a money thing, or is it an opportunity thing, like a press trip? A lot of it is money, I'll be honest. I'm really quite broke in general. Like... (laughs) I chose this vagabond life and not to work in an architect's office. So my bread and butter is that I'm a freelance travel writer, which this year is a rumor. <laughs> not really a rumor, but like it's, it's, it's been some adjusting. Yeah. Um, so 
yeah, a lot of the time it's sort of like whatever budget I have, but also I sort of, um, I really like combination trips, like long combination trips. So what I, what I was doing here in Uganda in the beginning of March before think anything like this whole virus is taken seriously anywhere in Africa at all was, um, I had gotten a gig that was sort of like uh, to be a sales rep type of thing for a certain company that is a travel, you know, a travel service basically um, to sell a service to different backpackers, mostly in small hotels. And so we had a few target countries and it was new in Africa. So I was going to start in Kenya and then get into Uganda and just travel south like doing this job, making my content. And yeah, so I had it all planned out. I was like, I'll start off in Uganda. It's just right next door. been there before, easy. And I'm just on public transport, go down to Rwanda, Tanzania. There's a train that goes from Dar es Salaam on the east coast of Tanzania all the way through into central Zambia. And I love trains so much. So I was like, okay, but that's an anchor thing. I'll take that train and then go to Zambia for the first time and just see what happens. So I really like to, as much as I can, um, have those sorts of combination trips, um, which means that I travel quite slow. Um, and that's my preferred way of travel. And the, the whole thing about traveling slow is like, I simply can't afford a hotel for like three weeks uh, in, in most places. And so workaways is one of my main things that I do to, to be able to stay somewhere long term. Because it's like, at least the accommodation bit is one major chunk of money like major cost that's taken care of pretty much so it really depends i've been on only a handful of press trips so usually if i've posted anything about luxury it has been a press trip <laughs> um although one time i was on a work away on a really tiny island and the other volunteer and i kind of just went on a walk and we had heard about this resort so we wanted to stop by for a drink but they were not open they were closed for the season but they offered to show us around and show us a few of the rooms. So I just took those pictures really quickly and asked them a few different things like about their, they had a really cool permaculture garden. And so I was able to incorporate that into a blog post of like uh, budget versus luxury travel to this island, which is an island in Kenya. So sometimes I'll do things like that. I never said I stayed there, <laughs> but you know, I have the info there for anybody who can stay there. So it depends. It's it's all over the place. It depends also on the stage of life, uh, the season, you know. What do you think about that? Some people, you know, are judgmental when it comes to travel. And if it's not, if it's not, yeah, if it's not luxury, then they don't want it. What do you say to those other kind of experiences, work away or couch surfing or hostel staying, mm. like, any type of alternative, <laughs> I guess it's alternative. No. Not that luxury is the main, right? But um, I think that's a shame. I think that's quite uh, limiting on somebody's own uh, possibilities and self and the experiences that they could have. Um, I'm usually like really more than open to share whatever experiences I've had. So if it's, I mean, if, if I care enough to have this conversation with someone, because some people's minds are just made up. But if someone is, you know, if someone seems like they're open to hearing more, because, you know, that's, that comes out of um, 
I don't want to say ignorance. It's used as a bad word, but ignorance, but not in a bad way of what, what these different types of traveling are. You know, it's like a lot of these things have, have a terrible rap, uh, terrible reputation outside of people who travel, you know, like hostels. A lot of people, I remember posting like the, I called it the non-believers guide to staying at hostels. And a lot of people commented, a lot of Kenyans especially, to be like, listen, when somebody says hostel, I think of university, like, accommodation, not this. And all the pictures that I had posted, they were like, damn, I literally didn't know this was a thing. Um, and so I'm always, I always open myself up to, like, answer questions, to share pictures, to, you know, to let people know what exactly, like, start to finish, what they can expect, what the different options are. So for me, it's kind of like... It's a lack of information, I would think. I think that also, like, it must stem from a money wound. It must stem from shame around the have and the have-nots. Like, it's a classist issue. I think so, yeah. To choose to, because there's the, it's, it's a totally different experience, you staying in a hotel and touring around how you want versus slow travel. First of all, like, it's just different kinds of travel. If you don't have a lot of time, like a lot of times, yeah, you will stay in a hotel, get in and get out. You may even stay in a in a hostel and get in and get out. But like when you are slow travel, when travel is something that you have made the focus of your life, then you're looking for more experiences along the way. And that's just not sustainable living out of a hotel. Not at all. No. I don't know how, how, like how prevalent or whatever this is in the States, but I know lots of Kenyans are like, okay, my parents or grandparents or whoever have worked really hard for us to like move to the city and like live in a good solid house. So this camping business, like why, (laughs) why am I sleeping outside? Why am I going in that direction again when we have come to this direction? Yes. And people joke about it. Not all the way a joke for people yes and also a lot of is it first first generation so the parents have moved to whatever they believe to be a better situation and the Mm -hmm. kids want to travel and like live somewhere else that's not that situation and the parents like don't understand it yeah yeah i have seen a lot of that yeah and I don't think, I, I think that is a, a good point, what you said, like, about the mindset in America, because a lot of the listeners or people who rally around the idea of long-term travel tend to not be, like, in the UK or Australia. And I think it's because of mm. the journey that their parents have made in order to get there. And the United States, you know, you know what's yeah. up. <laughs> it's like... More, more often than not, right? You don't have that specific kind of pressure from the parents to, you know, have the better life or what have you. Very true. Oh, that was a lot. Mm. Yeah, that was a lot just right there. It's really interesting to hear about and to think about just like, just like the whole African diaspora and everybody's different, um, not family histories because it can get so specific, but you know, just like societal differences between like a Brazilian and an Afro-Mexican and African-American and me in Kenya and like whoever else, everybody else, you know. 
and just the things that have shaped like societies and communities and how people move through life. It's very interesting to me. Very. There are often so many similarities. And I think, I think we look for those, but then like sometimes when we come together, like we want to also be special. And so we try to also separate ourselves. Mm. <laughs> you know, this jollof rice is better than the next. <laughs> like <laughs> Africans, I'm sorry. Pilau smokes all of you. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> Here she go. <laughs> they ask for rewards. Yeah, that's that's what the that's what they call them in the Twitter streets. Diaspora <laughs> wars. Um, you do talk quite a bit about Africa and like the even the job that your that you took was centered on increasing tourism in Africa. You, you yeah. were talking about how so much of the focus was on how the rest of the world was so beautiful and wanting Africans to travel outside of Africa. But now that Corona has hit or what have you, some are looking within their own countries to find the goal that's yeah. always been there. It only took the end of the world. Yeah, right. Um, you also talk about like how modified a lot of the original cultures have been because of colonialism. So even totally. even with that uh, eye, that through that touristic eye, like how white people came through and tried to de-spice that, I guess you could say. <laughs> they added some flour. <laughs> They had a flower on it to like take away some of the flavor or what it water it down. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that. Um, decolonizing travel. Yeah, it's very much been something um, on my mind and something I'm trying to pay a lot more attention to. Um, I think I always have paid attention to that, especially as an adult. Um, not that long, but <laughs> It's very much, yeah, it's interesting as far as also, again, the way I grew up going on safaris, like safaris are born out of colonialism and are born out of, somebody described the Lion King the other day as a colonialist wet dream, Africa without the people, a bunch of talking animals. Like, and that's, that's the whole thing about like travel that is born out of colonialism. It's very much, if you see old ads of Africa, a lot of Asia, Pacific Islands, they talk about the land and the nature and maybe some animals, but it'll never be any people. So the image that's portrayed is like, come and come to this beautiful land, look how lush, it's there for the taking type of thing. You know, it's there for you to conquer. Um, and I remember also reading something to do with um, the language that's used in just generally in outdoors travel, even within the U.S. Um, and again, even in the U.S., it's like with native lands that are now national parks. Do you know what I mean? It's like that very specific, very intentional erasure of people, of the people that know the place best, that make the place what it is. Um, it's really, it's very interesting to see how that's just, it's very much the norm today. And so I'm starting to realize more and more anything that is the norm in travel most likely, like your first few Google results, results sorry, your first um, booking.com. Oh, there's a flight. There's a plane going over me. <laughs> Hi. I'm going to let that pass. When I was in kindergarten, 
I was in kindergarten, planes would fly over. Like, we would stop at what we were doing and, like, wave and be like, bye, mom and dad. I don't know why. <laughs> like, that's a thing we would do in my kindergarten. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, side note. Um, so, anyway, back to decolonizing. <laughs> um, so, you know, your first Google results of, a, you know, any articles or your first... Um, hotels and things like that the first things that you find a lot of the time uh, there is some sort of disenfranchisement of the local community or communities that have gone on uh, particularly in a place like um, it's interesting to be in Uganda because it doesn't have as old a tourism industry as Kenya with the safaris from you know 60 70 years ago but especially if it is an old established industry um, yeah you have to do a bit more work uh, in finding what is not hurting the place or like what is uh, not taking more than it's giving, if that makes sense. So it's very much just a thing I'm starting to be more and more aware of and it's just everywhere. Especially once you start looking for it. <laughs> the rabbit's hole is crazy. You specifically like mentioned Giraffe Manor in one of your blog posts. <laughs> and I think YouTube videos. Yeah, I meant to turn it into a YouTube video. I did an IGTV, just like a sit down and chat video, and I rarely do those. But so basically, there was a fiasco a couple of months ago because of the whole pandemic thing. Um, all hotels, most hotels in Kenya had closed. And so, Giraffe Manor, they actually didn't put it out, but some, some like travel booking company just put out a post saying, hey, so we're really glad to announce that Giraffe Manor is now open to Kenyans starting this date, whatever, whatever. It was poorly worded, and that's not what they meant. Uh, they meant, you know, whoever's in the country, because at the time the borders were still closed. Um, so nobody outside of the country physically could go and stay there. But anybody who was already in the country could, and that's what they meant. But uh, a pretty well-known... Um, media practitioner in Kenya took it up and she was like look at this BS these people now are you know begging for our coins when they have turned away locals and other black people um and now that they're desperate and their usual clientele can't fly in from the UK or wherever now they're open to Kenyans and so it just turned into a whole thing uh particularly on Twitter and on this um this particular person's Instagram comments because she shared experiences of trying to book and trying to, um, again, she works in media. So I think there was also a couple of work things where she maybe tried to book a couple of shoots and everything. And the hoops that they had to jump through were crazy. And some people started chiming in with other comments like, yeah, I called and tried to book and there was no room. And then my French friend called with their accent and French name and suddenly there was room or, you know, that, that sort of story. Um, and so I just got to thinking, at first I completely dismissed it because I was like, to be honest, <laughs> uh, for me, and probably many people who think like me, uh, I, I don't really know why people are checking for Giraffe Manor that much. Like, again, it's, it's very much like a colonialist wet dream to me. It's very Lion King. It's very, it's that kind of flavor <laughs> of experiences. Um, and I have been to Giraffe Center, which is actually right next door to the manor. And it's more of a, it's just like a day visit. The giraffes kind of roam around 
and you can feed them and like you can learn a bit about the different species and stuff and your entry fee goes to the conservation of their species because they are actually endangered unfortunately so for me in the beginning i was like whatever uh, and i also recognized that look, that's not what the post meant so i don't know why people were tripping and then i stopped to think about it and i was just sort of like this can be a moment that i you know i try and stop and think for myself as well and you know kind of like suggest a way forward type of thing i'm very much someone who there's obviously there's so much injustice and so much just nonsense in the world and i really applaud people who take it upon themselves to highlight this sort of stuff and to make people aware because that's how i find out about these things but i couldn't do that i don't think i that couldn't be the bulk of what i do i'm very much someone who i prefer to say the problem and then come with a solution or at least a beginning of a solution so my whole thing was let's say okay this is annoying because it's bringing up all of people's like past experiences and memories of being treated poorly on their own land um in this case giraffe manor it's in nairobi if anybody's unaware in kenya um but then okay so what now so i put up an igtv video saying you're not actually mad at giraffe manor you're annoyed at the entire system this is how we move on support a locally um owned and supported and and controlled basically business right uh give your money to the community whose land that is on um give your money to people who will treat you like a human <laughs> you know give your money to people who will not put foreign visitors above you you know and that was like quite a big um quite a major i guess moment in my in my content moving that way because a lot of the times this is stuff i just kind of think about and i don't really put down into words and so the whole decolonizing travel thing i'm now starting to like actually add that into sort of part of my branding and part of the content i'm writing and making video about because it's like i just feel like it's time for action like i'm i'm sort of done with like sitting and pondering and i want to discuss it and i want to make moves towards doing it you know how has it been for you to do that for you to take the thoughts to words and present it it's been cool it's been um it's quite a slow process because like you're saying once you start looking for it you find it everywhere and so actually there's something i meant to post this morning but i overslept um <laughs> about just thinking back to my own travel in as much as i would like to think i don't i don't you know participate in colonizer culture but it's very hard not to particularly in this sort of capitalist world and um even considering like the way i am traveling right now and the way i've been this year currently i'm still at a work away at a backpackers where i've been working since march and i work i do the front desk and the social media and stuff like that a few days a week this place is owned by a ugandan it's owned by a white south african it's tricky it's really like but this is the only one i could find um on on workaway.info which is the website that i used to find workstays um and in march i didn't have i hadn't made a bunch of money yet to say pay for an airbnb which even then who owns this airbnb most likely also a foreigner you know and um a few years ago almost to the day no not today a few years ago in august 
it was 2017 actually, I went to Lesotho, which is um, in Southern Africa. It's a country, but it's surrounded by South Africa. It's pretty weird. Um, but I went on like a ski trip and went to, I went to a ski and snowboarding fest. So sick, so amazing. But again, like I can say I've been to Lesotho and I only had a few days, but the entire thing was run by South Africans and the ski lodge was owned by white South Africans as well. The festival itself, a lot, I, I don't think I would say majority, probably like half of the um, participants or attendees of this festival were also white South Africans. So it's like, I've definitely participated. And just because something is interesting to me, because I am that person who's like, I want to try and snowboard. I was very bad at it, but I did it. And someone who is, you know, who will want to go for this cool experience. Uh, and sometimes it's self-serving. Sometimes it's like, but I want to go. Why do I always have to think about the ownership and whose land it is and stuff like that? But sometimes those are just kind of the, the decisions you have to make, I suppose. Um, so it's, it's really difficult, like turning it on yourself. What do you think about this whole, I guess it's just mostly Americans, uh, Black Americans considering moving to somewhere in the continent. Do you consider that another form of gentrification? Do you consider that just more colonialism? My mom and I talk about this all the time because my mom, she's very like, my mom's so funny. She's really, she's very like a binge, binge type watcher. Like, she'll sit down and Netflix is her ideal. It was really designed for her. Because, like, when she's interested in something, she'll be there two in the morning, like, watching. She's like, I need to know everything. I need to watch everything. Give me all the info. So she watches a lot of YouTubers who have moved from the States to different parts of the continent. And there are many different ways that people do it. Because it's like, there are the people who are very... um, forget this city life. I want to go and like hang out in a village. I'm going to learn a bunch of languages, whatever is spoken over there. You know what I mean? And then there are others that are like, let's go invest in all the properties, business, business, the, all these opportunities, freaking like Acorn city or whatever, like that sort of thing. Um, and that to me is a little bit of a question mark because at the end of the day, people can't, um, People can't deny that they're a product of the system or the society that they grew up in. And that's very white capitalist like behavior to me. I remember reading after the year of return and of last year in Ghana, a lot of things like, first of all, just everything in December was very expensive for the average Ghanaian. And I was listening to a podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can get the name of the podcast and share it with you. But it was two Ghanaian just like people in their twenties who were talking about it in January. And they were sort of asking each other, so how was your December? Did you go to any of the events? And they were like, no, man, that wasn't for us. Like, that was for the Americans. Like, (laughs) that was not about Ghanaians who grew up in Ghana. And I remember reading, too, about a lot of uh, literally gentrification in Accra and Kumasi and stuff. And things like, oh, now, like, apartments and stuff, property is priced in USD instead of Ghanaian city. And people being, people are expecting, like, landlords and owners and stuff. Um, are expecting that somebody will pay rent for six months or rent for a year in advance. And the average Ghanaian, like no matter how well they're doing, they probably can't afford that um, to just be paying for a place for the entire year. And there's that sort of thing, which is the conversation on one side is like, yeah, black economic empowerment and stuff, but it's at the expense 
of the people who have been there. <laughs> and it's only now that it's cool that other people now kind of come and step in and not, not always the case, but you know, um, so there is that. And then there's also the, <laughs> let's go and save Africa from the Chinese. Like we're all just sitting here. I think it's really tough. Like, I think it's really dangerous that kind of rhetoric of let's go and save Africa. Um, because it just, it implies no listening. It implies that nobody's done their research because, you know, because during... It mocks white savior. Exactly, exactly. Like it isn't human nature to just like be sitting around um, when your people and your, your home is under attack, you know? Like the slaves hundreds of years ago in the Americans weren't just sitting around. There were plenty of revolts and escapees and everything like that during colonialism, during things like apartheid. People were not just sitting around like, oh no, poor us. People were planning revolts. People were arming themselves. People were educating themselves. They were mobilizing, you know? Nobody was really just sitting there like, oh, okay. Like, here come the colonialists. I guess, I guess that's it. That is not human nature. And that's the same right now. So I would just say like, there, I know I recognize it's definitely not everyone. And lots of people are educating themselves and doing their research and choosing a country that they feel like suits them um, and adjusting their lives and their mindsets and, you know, learning what they need to learn to go there. But I think it's really important that uh, people don't bring the same violence system over here only for them to be on top. You know what I mean? I do. I think it's really tricky to not do that because there's the part where you have control, where you buy local, where you try to be a part of the community versus living like scum off the top, like a lot of people who relocate do. <laughs> you know, they never try to learn the language. Yeah. They just have their little expat insular communities um, mm. and complain about how spicy the food is or whatever. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely think that there's a way to do it. But also with that, there are things that are out of your control, like the market if people in a country see an opportunity to make money, they're going to do that. So they're going to raise those rent prices. They're going to change the structure of their mm. contracts. There are going to be places and events and I don't know, an economy built around the expat community. I just don't know anywhere that's done it in a way that doesn't harm local people. For sure. I, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you do that. Because if these people are coming with USD money, you know, and trying to get a second passport and whatever, whatever. Yeah. Which like, that's not always the case. Um, some are looking for residents, but because of the history in America, that economic power isn't the same mm -hmm. yeah. a lot of times. So... I, like I said, there's there's the part that you control. I don't know, maybe even what yeah. you're talking about, like what some people would do, like, let's go save them. Maybe it's because, first of all, it's shocking news to them because they haven't been living it. And second of all, they're not aware of the organizations that are in place that are, or the movements that are in place that are already trying to address these local issues. So, I mean, maybe it's that as well. Who who are the underprivileged here? Who are the the ones being taken advantage of? Who are being shoved off their land mm -hmm. still? Exactly. And how can we empower and advocate 
with them or give them the space to do that. And maybe with whatever we can leverage, give them that kind of ampli- amplifier or whatever. For them. But it's it's definitely like a conversation that conversation that needs to continue to happen. Yeah. What do you think that you've considered for yourself? I am not living my values right now. I'm putting money in a Chinese man's <laughs> pocket right now. That's not that's not <laughs> what I want to do. See, like me. But right. ain't no black people hear that own stuff. Um, where I am, I'm in Malaysia. Like, of course, it's gonna yeah. be Asian. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I personally, that is, that's why when I was going to do the conference, the international black women travel Jubilee, I was going to Rwanda. I said, at first, I, like I was thinking of places in the, the quote unquote middle of the yeah. world. I was like, Oh, maybe Turkey or, um, where else was I thinking? Uh, hungry, like Budapest. I was like, maybe there. Cause I'm always thinking about people's pockets and like, where can mm. people travel to that's not like crazy so people in asia people in america the the british are always yeah. gonna have it easy <laughs> you know your europeans are always gonna have it easy easier because they are already in the middle but anyway um i was like no i want to i want to i want this to be black as hell and so then you know they had that whole little marketing about how women are in the parliament cool. and i was like oh women <laughs> empowerment then, you know, you get to read and no place is perfect. And it's like, oh, you could leave that right at the door of your home. Because when you get there, he's expecting yeah. that food on the table. So, but I, I've, mm. I haven't been and I would like to go. I was not ready to go for a very long time. I said it was because I didn't want to cry. <laughs> um, mm. But now that's real. Well, yeah, there's that. But then like, also, I don't even know that there's necessarily anything to cry about. Yeah, true. I think it's one of those. I don't know. I think it depends how you are emotion wise and everything and spiritually and all. But I don't know. I don't know how much you can really predict, like how a place will affect you. That's true. Because you have an idea about a place. And I think that's what gets you on the land in the first place. Mm. But you never know what your experience is going to be there in your skin, with your hair, with your body type, like, mm. yeah, with your spirit, with your ancestors. You never really know how a place is going to hit. But yeah. I wanted to ask you, Julie, um, mm-hmm. how has it been for you to travel as a Black woman? It's been good. I... Generally, I'm quite, um, I don't know, I suppose self-assured or self-comfortable in myself, I suppose. Uh, and again, with the whole traveling alone thing, I, I, find, I find myself to be generally quite self-sufficient and everything like that. So when there have been like small, small instances of people just acting weird to the point, you know, it's like there's the whole blatant racism and then there's like the under I don't know like backhanded comments or sort of like energy like funny energy um I think in general honestly it's not been bad for me like I think I'm secure enough in myself that it's been fine for me and I don't I don't think that I have let any external 
energies like affect my day to day too much. Except, you know, I have my moments like again with the with the fake river guides and stuff like that. But I think that it has been good. That being said, I haven't necessarily traveled so much like far far from home in the sense that anything that was like wildly different from what I know. So I've traveled in Eastern Southern Africa, I've traveled in Western Europe and in the US. Never been to Asia, never been to say like any Pacific islands. I've never been anywhere where, for example, like someone's never seen a black person in real life. I would be surprised if any of those places, somebody saw me and were like, wow, a black. So there's also that to think about. So far, I've actually like been relatively safe in my destination choices. So it's been chill so far. I don't, <laughs> people say places where they've never seen a black person. And I don't know why people say that because. In real life, I mean. We are out here. Yeah, it's just 2020. Like, does that really exist? <laughs> I want to talk about that. It's like, you know, you're in like Siberia or literally Siberia, Russia, or I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure We've it's possible. We've been there, though. <laughs> we have been I there. You know. Name it. I mean, I'm not going there, but I know some black, you know, a lot of black women have been a lot of places I would never go. Yeah. But that's for y'all. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to post that in my group. I'm, in, I'm very interested in that because people say that. And I'm like, it's 2020. Can we still use that language? <laughs> it sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> like I'm a... It does. It's just like, that's exceptionalism. Like, you really think you are the first? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. We we just been kind of everywhere. We have migrated everywhere. We have been stolen everywhere. Like, yeah. to literally not see a Black person. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I respect that. <laughs> Regardless, they may act like you are the first. Yeah. And it's crazy. You know, like I saw somebody post a video mm-hmm. like being in a rural part of China and like literally people just turn around on the train and like post it up. <laughs> it's like your seat doesn't face that way. I need for you to turn. Go I think I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty popular. So yep. I'm sure. But it's like that. Man, I don't know how I would, I need to do like quite a bit more like transcendental meditation and stuff because I dead stare people. Okay. I'm like, you want to go, we'll go. Yeah. East Asians are like ready for that. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think culturally for black people, like staring is considered rude. Mm. Like, I don't know no black people that tolerates a whole lot of staring. Like, what you want? Are you casing me? Like, why are you looking at me so long? (laughs) like the boldness of anybody to stare at anyone like because <laughs> i always got scolded for like even looking at someone a bit too long I was like, that's, that's rude. so for me it's like wow you're just here with your whole face and i can see you and you can see me see really okay gosh that's your life all right you are here with your entire face <laughs> your whole face <laughs> and my face and space oh that's so funny I get stared at a fair amount, even just here at home. Because it's like, sometimes it's like, what's this girl doing by herself? Or what is she doing here? Or maybe I dress a bit differently. Like, 
I've got a septum piercing. There are times my hair is all sorts of different colors. Um, and I've, I really feel like my look is never that extreme. But even so, I'm like, yo, we probably weren't raised that differently. Why are you staring at me so, <laughs> so intently? I mean, come on. Like, it is, you know, it's different. <laughs> You've been living in your skin for a while, so yeah. maybe for you. But, like, for the most part, like, people don't really express themselves like that. Yeah, it's true. Julie, do you have any hobbies or interests that aren't about money? I do, yeah. I like to dance. I like to learn about different dances. But then again, I have an idea to turn that into like a documentary or a series. So <laughs> scratch that out. But I love dancing. Um, I like to practice yoga. I like to read. I love a good biography. Um, so I, try and, I like to read about different artists, especially different artists' lives. Not always reading. Sometimes I watch a documentary. Like last, Not even last night at three in the morning this morning. I watched two documentaries about Nat King Cole back to back. Just because I suddenly wondered, I don't really know anything about this guy. I'm going to sit and watch two documentaries. That's the kind of thing I do. <laughs> um, what else? Love to eat and cook and try different things in the kitchen. Um, yeah. Probably off the top of my head, that's what I can think of. And what has helped you to face your challenges along the way? Um, I think def- I'm definitely like an introvert in the most textbook sense of the word because I really do like I need alone time like even if it's only been a couple of hours I have been known to like leave my friends at the club because I need to be alone (laughs) I'll be like "Mm, okay I think I'm done (laughs) and I'll just get in a cab on my own and they're like oh yeah she's gone (laughs) um so definitely time on my own I'm a big fan of sleep sleep is really so important and wonderful and underrated Aside from that, um, I find it very hard, especially since I have had the blog, because it's a hobby that is also work, but I can just keep doing it and working on it and coming up with different ideas without realizing how much time I'm spending on it. So, um, yeah. So it's also like, you know, stepping back and, and, you know, indulging in one of my hobbies, whether it's reading or yoga or you know, uh, watching an informative but also entertaining documentary or something like that. Um, I'm, for the past couple of years, I've sort of like been, I guess, learning a bit more and exploring a bit more about spirituality as just a personal, personal practice or personal thing. So I read a lot about all different types of, um, uh, all different types of religions and spiritual practices and things like that. Um, I'd actually started reading the Quran early this year, but I forgot it in Nairobi when I, when I was leaving. And I had started going to a Buddhist temple because I found out there was one in Nairobi. I was like, wow, there's a Buddhist temple just there. So I would go to like the Sunday classes and they were discussing a certain book, which I bought and I have been reading that, which has been really cool. So that's really that. I find that really grounding because it's one of those um, everything is everything sorts of things. Like essentially when you kind of get down to its core, like religions and a lot of spiritual beliefs and practices and things um, 
at their core, a lot of them are, are the same and they deal with the same things uh, because they're tools for human beings who also are ultimately the same. So I go down those sorts of rabbit holes and just, yeah, just lose myself in things that are, remind me that everything is bigger than me. So whatever it is, it's okay. You've been practicing yoga since like the age of three, haven't you? <laughs> like it's, it's been years. First time I took a class, I was about 13. That's really dope. Um, would you mind sharing some of your self-care practices? Yeah, again, it's everything I've just said. Um, yoga, I love to go on walks. I really like walking. Um, and that's been such a nice thing during this lockdown. Just put on a podcast and walk. And I know that like I'll be entertained for an hour. I usually go over an hour, which is also quite nice. Um I really enjoy drawing and sketching, even though I haven't really been doing that. It was one of those things like I was always pretty good at drawing and then it became work when I was at university for architecture. So then the joy was taken out of it. And then starting it again after graduating was such a nice um, reintroduction, I suppose. But I haven't really been drawing or sketching much. So, yeah, I like to draw... I like to eat good nourishing foods. Like I can eat forever. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can really eat and eat and eat and, you know, um, not stop. So it's like, it feels nice to eat something that, that is nourishing and that I've made for myself. And that is like good food. Um, so I do that. Yeah. That's probably again, sleep. Honestly, I cannot stress this enough sleep. You also don't mind a drink or two. You even had like a partnership with Meister <laughs> at one point. Yeah. But you were drinking Jägermeister before you had that partnership, which let me know it was real. And like, who does that? What? People do. What kind of? I know. Everybody's like, what do you mean, Jägermeister? <laughs> I'm like, it's very versatile and cool. Yeah, I love that. That almost falls into like experimenting with food for me because I like to make cocktails and like think up different ones or learn to make different ones. Last week, I learned to make a mojito, finally. Well, when you get to martinis, let me know. <laughs> I don't think there's anything really fancy about it, but yeah. <laughs> and man, it all lies in the presentation. <laughs> when you do travel, Julie, how do you like to... Definitely walk a lot. Um, especially when I first get somewhere, I really just like maybe I'll do a quick scan of Google Maps just to kind of situate myself and try my best to put that away and just walk and see what I find. Because either way, even like with any kind of traditional map, like it'll not quite um, present the full experience of being in a place like with different elevations and, you know, things like that. Um, so I walk as much as possible. Um, what else do I do? Dep it really depends. Like if it's a city, then I like to get online. Um, different places are different, but I find that checking even just Facebook and like seeing what events are happening nearby, that's a good way to see like what people are into in that area. Um, I try my best to seek out like a local art scene. If there is a live music scene, that is number one on my list because I really love, I love watching live music. Um, but I'm also, I'm, I'm really into museums and art galleries. So I'll see 
what's around if it's like you know if it's a bit boring or if it's lame then oh well but at least I've gone to see it and hopefully I learned something about the place but I'm I'm really a fan of museums like <laughs> people seem to knock them a lot especially now but like don't knock a museum then you, you may be surprised I think that even if like you get museum fatigue you know mm. especially like I don't have you been to London yeah I have okay I don't know if you made it to the the that giant museum there. The I forget Tate? what it's called. No, not the Tate. The one on Trafalgar Square. I think it's just. Like, I think it's just the National Museum. I think it's just called like the Giant Museum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just called the Giant Museum of London. Yeah. Um. So like they have like three million floors and like a million and seven <laughs> exhibits on each floor. Um, so like that's quite stifling, but I think the design of museums in general is like really refreshing. Mm. It's just maybe like the space, you know, if it's not really crowded, like the space and the presentation and mm. how you're meant to take your time and be still with these things that took people hours sometimes to create or months or whatever, yeah. you know, somebody who like put mm-hmm. a lot of intention into the strokes or I don't know. Exactly. It, it can be kind of meditative in that sense. Yeah, it really changed for me when um, my last stop on this little Euro trip of mine in 2016 was Rome. And on the day, like, I think I put aside a full day to spend at the Vatican Museum and just like in the town. Um, I just, I completely, that particular time, let go of trying to see everything. And life was amazing after that. It was like, okay, I'm feeling tired now. Yeah. I'm down and I'm going to eat whatever I'm eating. And I'm not going to feel bad about not having seen every inch of this huge museum, yeah. which is huge. It's enormous. And that- yeah, I guess, I guess that's what it is. It's like, oh, I got to see the whole thing. And it's like, no, you actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> And Rome was funny, too, because it was, like, one of those um, seeing all these buildings and, like, sites and works that were, like, part of our school curriculum, like, in the flesh. And I was freaking out a lot. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's, it's right there. It's just in front of my face, this thing that I've, like, drawn and seen pictures of and, like, discussed it theoretically. Do you know what I mean? So Rome was the kind of, like, I put a bit of pressure on myself until I realized this is dumb. Let me just chill. <laughs> let me, first of all, let me just like talk to people, you know, <laughs> and meet people. And yeah, it was just, I had to snap out of that a little bit for me to enjoy <laughs> the rest of my time in Rome. But again, that also goes with having the luxury of, I spent one week in every city I went to. So it was definitely not like two nights of Venice and I'm going to Milan and I'm going here and I'm getting on a bus here and I will spend like, I, I was not about that life ever. I've never been that way. But I have always had the luxury of, you know, more than a couple of weeks here and there. It is a luxury. Sometimes, like, I think we lose sight of that as long-term travelers because, like, it's our new normal, being in a place for so long. Yeah. But, like, it, it's really a gift to be able to be somewhere for some time and be able to take your time versus, like, you know, a quick week mm. that a lot of people have when they travel. Yeah. But it's a choice and a sacrifice, so whatever. <laughs> like you, you, you had mentioned like the guilt of, around that. So like it is difficult, right? Uh, waiting for checks to come through, like not having the 
the regular paycheck and then choosing a travel lifestyle where you may not have like a an address per se for months or forever like maybe your parents get your mail you know so you like don't even really have an address yeah i got i got a christmas card like two months ago it finally reached <laughs> my parents <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. We'll just save it for this year because it's just about that time. <laughs> I'll get it the, just a year later, but I'll get it. Um, yeah. It's pretty tough. It's at the same time, I'm almost used to it in a in a funny way. Um, as well as like also, I find myself like I have like panic moments here and there, but I keep my expenses low. So I'm never in a state like, okay, where am I going to sleep? Or, you know, I... I have had to learn sort of to like to network and to have my relationships and, and to um, accept help, which is like, wow, just biggest battle of my life, but I'm getting there. Um, so even like this year where m- money has not been the best or like the most consistent, still things have come through, you know, opportunities have found me or I have found them. And I've just gone for it with many different things. I have just, you know, shot my shots and made a lot of the shots. And so, you know, things like kind of just fall into place as I need them, as and when I need them. You know, I might have a panic moment. And then as soon as I stop worrying about it, something somewhere is in the works, you know. Um, so I think I just try, try my best to take that approach. And yeah, you know, just just kind of consider everything else that is important that is not money. Like people say it all the time, but like my health, man, I've got my two legs. Like life would be so different if I didn't have like my two healthy legs because I walk so much and like catch public transport and stuff like that. So generally I'm okay, you know, I'm working it out. So many people died this year, literally. So many people died this year. So, I mean, that still doesn't take away from the trickiness of living (laughs) because that exists too right Uh, it really is yeah and I sort of that's another reason I don't share so much of like my life and my work and stuff like that because it's like if you're curious I'll tell you but I'm not recommending this like I'm not telling you to go and do this because it's very hard and I know I could do it but like don't go and (laughs) don't go and be like Julie said no no (laughs) but you did mention like the guilt around wanting to express that about how difficult it is, even though it's something that you're choosing. But I mean, like all of it is a choice, right? Even if you choose to live somewhere traditionally with a a steady paycheck, that's, that's a choice as well. And I don't know that that choice would be any easier than this choice. Exactly. But with this choice, I think that you give yourself an opportunity to be fulfilled in your life versus doing the other thing because you don't know what to do or you're scared. Mm. I think that is the thing. Like when you don't know what to do, you just kind of do what's already laid out sort of thing. Um, So I see that in a lot of uh, people who are just kind of um, not necessarily making intentional choices in how their life is going to be just kind of going I guess going with the flow or going with the the norm. Um, so yeah, there, 
I suppose I do feel guilty about sharing it because it's also like, so almost anybody who has seen my content knows that I have this degree. And there are times when I'm really struggling and I'm like, I don't want to say this because then people will be like, oh, well, you went to school for all those years. Was it all for fun? Like, I just don't really want to entertain some of that because I have had it in my life. Even a couple of people have dated assholes. But um, yeah, I just like sometimes it's just like, I don't want to explain myself further. So sometimes I don't really want to talk about like, yo, I've got X, X amount of like uh, shillings or dollars in my account. When's the next coming? I don't know. We're just out here, you know, smiling. But, you know, sometimes it's just like, uh, it's not up for discussion. <laughs> like, this is my choice and I don't want to like justify myself. Which is something I, I yeah, it's something I kind of like, I'm working on getting over. But sometimes it's also just like low-key embarrassing because <laughs> people think you're rich. And then it turns out you're not. And they're like, oh, you're not what I thought. <laughs> hmm. Looking rich. I guess people do think it takes a lot of money because maybe they are thinking about mm-hmm. the way that they travel or the only way they know to travel. Yeah. And I think it's also like anybody who doesn't know me personally, it's probably a combination of things. It's like how I sound, the education I got, the fact that I studied abroad, like outside of my country. And then I've gone and gone to this life only. Um, so, yeah, I think that the assumption is huge that I'm like rich, which I am not. Yet, not yet. I'm rich in experiences and life. So. <laughs> Do you have any song lyrics or a poem that speaks to you these days? Oh, I don't read a lot of poetry, I'll be honest. Um, song, I'm always listening to music. Wednesday to Friday is when I work at the bar at this backpackers I'm working at. So I'm in charge of the music. So last day I was working, which I think was Friday of last week. Nat King Cole, that's why I was watching the documentary. So I was playing all of his music and playing Nature Boy 10 times, which is uh, just, yes. That is a masterpiece, right? Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) And it's so short, like the lyrics, like, what is it like? Two, two verses. Ooh, yeah. Verse just repeats. It's short. Yeah, yeah. So good. It's really like you know, for my forest nymph dreams. <laughs> for, for when I'm ready to like go build my like little hobbit house somewhere in a forest I have not chosen yet, but like near the beach, but also near a mountain, but also not too far from a city. When I find that place. It's good. That's so specific. I love that you <laughs> know <is> on. <laughs> that already. That's good. Playing <laughs> nature boy naked in the forest. It's going to be so good. Um, I just imagine you like in one of your modeling shots with the yellow flowers. Uh, it's a photo of you looking in the mirror. It's such a good photo. Um, uh, yeah, that's the yeah. nymph. One that's day. the nymph I see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, how do you like to celebrate? Hmm. How do I like to celebrate? I, it depends. Sometimes I'm in the mood to go out and dance and have a drink with people. Sometimes I'm equally happy, but I, I'm very happy being alone and like ordering a pizza and having some wine, preferably sitting on some grass somewhere. Um, yeah, I really like swimming. I really like to be at the ocean. I like swimming anywhere, but particularly in the ocean. 
to the ocean is always like a celebration for me. As much as I can, I like I try and spend New Year's Eve or ringing the New Year at a coast somewhere, and I really try my best to like be in the water for the countdown. I don't remember why, but it's just like it's a thing I need to do. <laughs> so yeah, I think those are my main two. It depends on the mood. Maybe you're birthing yourself into the new year. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> the ocean is the womb. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking for any possible analogy. I was really reaching you. <laughs> I might make it back to the ocean for my birthday at the end of October and yeah. be able to go back. That would be nice. I was going to ask you, your birthday's next month. I was, I was wondering what you were going to do. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm really hoping. So technically, I can't actually be in Uganda past like mid-October. So yeah, I'm head out. <laughs> and yeah, like uh, most likely I will be at the coast of Kenya somewhere. That is the goal. I always like to have guests share how can listeners support your work? Mm, okay, you can... Well, for one, you can get your tickets and your passes to the International Black Women Travel Jubilee. Heyo! I'll be giving a, a presentation or a talk on decolonizing travel, so we can talk a bit more about that. Pew, 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 pew. Pew. <laughs> Other than that, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Frame Ambition. Come say hello on Instagram, Facebook, Frame Ambition on everything. Except Twitter, it's just my name. But Twitter is where I talk nonsense, so don't even worry about that. Everywhere else, come and find me, say hello, share my stuff. Um, I do on my on all my like links, so like link on my Instagram bio and on my YouTube channel. I sort of have all my links that is like recent blog posts, and I also have a five day travel writing challenge. So if you're up for a creative challenge, totally free, just straight to your inbox. I have set up a few prompts. Um, if you'd like to remember your travels and write a few words every day for five days. Well, thank you so very much. You are really insightful and I'm so excited to see all the places that you'll reach for because literally nothing is out of your reach. So we'll see, we'll see what you give yourself permission <laughs> to go after. <laughs> yeah. That's really good, yeah. <laughs> so we will see you. Thank you so much. And we will, I will link all of those places that you mentioned in the show notes so people can connect with you. And you have yourself a gorgeous afternoon. Thank you. Have your, is it evening? Or is it like late night? It's afternoon. Okay. You're like my favorite. I'm going to talk to everybody in Uganda now <laughs> because that time zone is popping for me <laughs> it's like four o'clock here so I have a whole day <laughs> yeah all right Julie well we'll see you thank all right. you bye thanks Wanda bye bye